I uh, bring you greetings this morning from our teen camp trip. Our middle and high school students, a number of them, are up in New Hampshire at Camp Berea on Newfound Lake, and they're having a great time. I was up with them uh, Friday and Saturday, so I have not had a full complement of sleep this weekend, uh, but they're having a blast. They're playing games. They're going to the lake. Uh, they're blobbing, if you're familiar with blobbing, and going to the powerboat, and riflery, campfires, all the things. I learned a fantastic new game yesterday called Archery Tag. Archery tag is uh, a bow and arrow, and uh, you, you, shoot, you shoot each other. <laughs> so on the end of the arrow has a big, about the size of your fist, looks like a mushroom. So when you get hit with it, it just, it, it's uh, not too painful. You wear a mask. And um, I started, I had a slow start to this game, and then I really uh, flourished, and I, I got pretty good at this. So... Um, <laughs> And it's, it's, been, it's been neat. I went, we're, as many of you know, we're in between right now. Uh, we don't have a youth minister in the church, and we're kind of in between. So I uh, volunteered to go up and, and do the, the teaching at the camp. It makes me feel young again. We used to do camps all the time. I was with my wife, Clancy's up there right now. And uh, you know, I feel like a kid again, except today I'm feeling a little sore from all this competition and all these other things. So uh, realizing that it's been a few years since I've done this. But what I love the most is that... Uh, with all the fun, we are focusing on Christ. And so our theme for the weekend was true you, finding your true identity in Christ. And we're actually in a part of the Bible that's very much related to what uh, we're looking at today. We're looking at the, the exile, uh, the, the Babylonian exile, where Jerusalem is destroyed, which happens not long after this account that was read today. And talking about how all the things that God's people identified themselves by being God's people, all those Identity markers like having a nation and the capital city and the king and the temple and all these things were wiped out and they lost them and they they got to a point where they were wondering you know what what, what is it what is my identity as a, as you know God's people and so we we looked at the prophet Ezekiel which a lot of our students hadn't been spending a lot of time reading Ezekiel lately but they really uh, they jumped into it and just learning how Ezekiel was the prophet at that time who told the people that they had been rebellious, but that God desired to wash them and give them a, a new heart, and that he des God desired to be their shepherd again. And, and it was just a, a, a re-identifying themselves in their relationship to God. And for our teenagers, it's just a very important concept. You know, who am I really? Who's the true me? And we find that in our relationship to God. So um, they're doing great up there. They just finished up their last meeting and they're going to have another meal and, and head home this afternoon. So I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to pray for us. Uh, they've been doing great. They've, um, they're safe, you know, for the most part. They have little scrapes and band-aids, but no ambulances. So that level of, of safety. So, um, so praise God. Let's pray. So Father, as we gather here and we look at your word, we know that the, the leaders and all the the, the students who are up there uh, in New Hampshire are focusing on your word and your truth as well. May it go deep for all of us and around the world as we do this. We know there are others who are a gathering in your name, seeking your face, seeking your heart. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as your word says, as we seek you, we will find you and be found by you as we do that with our whole heart, Lord. So give us hearts that are ready to receive what you have for us this morning. So your blessing over us here uh, from and the teens who are here in this room, Lord, a blessing over them as we look at your word together. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, there's a, there's a phrase that we use, and it's, it's a kind of a heartbreaking phrase. It's the phrase, too little, 
too late. And uh, I've, I've used that phrase. Uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. If it's a, any problem that you identify and you want to address or something happens, but you, you try and it's just too little, it's too late. Sometimes it's a financial matter. You didn't realize I hadn't saved for that or hadn't prepared for that. And I tried, but it was too little, too late. Or health issue. This is heartbreaking. Oh, if we had diagnosed it sooner, if we had uh, done treatment at a different time, but it's too little, it's too late. The, the most devastating for me is a, as, a, as a pastor is talking to uh, married couples who have just um, years and years of struggle that are unaddressed and things like anger or abuse or adultery and, and just whatever effort is, is given. And we believe in a God uh, who can change anything, but sadly, sometimes things get to a point where it's too little, it's, it's too late. In our text today, we, we're, we're, we're coming back to this nation of people, the, God's people, the nation of Judah. Again, God's people were all one nation and they split. The nation of Israel is now gone. They're, these are people living in exile. But the nation of Judah is still in place. And, but they have been rebellious for generations now. Uh, they've, they've been rebellious. They have violated God's covenant promises. And they're, they're people who are going along and they are working on their temple. They're doing some renovations. They're, they're cleaning up and repairing, doing some masonry work, some carpentry work. And they find God's law. They find the book of the law, which had been lost uh, for a couple generations. And they bring it to the king, and he reads it, and he realizes, this King Josiah, he realizes we are not living in accordance with this law. And this this book says that there's going to be curses against us if we live this way, and he knows that they are wrong, and he just tears his clothes, and he weeps, and he is uh, repentant for how uh, they have been living and he calls for he calls this whole nation for a renewal a renewal of the covenant relationship with God and great reformation in the nation and the part of the story you'll notice there's a little break here between verse 13 and and the beginning of um, chapter 23 which was read for us there's some missing verses here this is the part where they go to seek of the lord what does god what does god have to say to the nation at this point so this king, Josiah, he sent a little task force. There was a priest and an administrator, and there was a secretary and a couple younger guys. And they go to seek the word of the Lord from a prophet. And they actually went to a prophetess. They went to a woman named Huldah. Huldah, we don't know much about her. There was other prophets, famous prophets. Jeremiah, you've heard of, perhaps. There was Zephaniah around the same time, very famous prophets. But they went to this woman, and it... Again, it's a reminder from the days of the kings of old to today that God has used faithful women to proclaim his words. So they go to this, uh, this prophetess, and she gives them a message in two parts. Part one is, you're too late. You're too late. Judgment is coming against Judah. It will be destroyed. The whole nation is toast. It's beyond repair. That's the message from God. God says, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of that book that the king of Judah has read, because they've forsaken me and they've made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with, with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. It doesn't matter how you respond to this, this word of God that you've found. It's over. 
Anything you do will not be enough. But part two of her message was a little more hopeful. The Lord said this through her. It says, To the king of Judah, regarding the words that you've heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, you have torn your clothes and you have wept before me. I have also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. Basically, uh, the message from God is, uh, Josiah, you understand what's going on here. You understand the destruction that's coming, but it's, you're not going to bear the brunt of it. You're going to reign. You're going to do your part. You will die, and you'll be buried, but you're not going to see the, the real destruction, the real judgment that's coming against this nation. And, um, and that's how this is going to go. But it does kind of beg the question, so... Josiah then takes this and he enacts this major reformation in the country, but it was to no avail. It was too late. It was not going to have any real lasting impact, any good thing that he was to do. So why does it matter? What's the point? Why is it important that he continued on that path, knowing with the word from the Lord, an accurate word, that it doesn't matter. It's not going to have any lasting change. And I want to explore why that's important. Today, three R's that will help us to understand why this is so important. The first is repentance. It's the very first reaction that Josiah has to God's word is to repent of their behavior. What is he repenting of, though? It's essentially the sins of his his fathers, the sins of his father and his grandfather. Uh, also, what's not printed here is that Josiah was eight years old when he became the king. So, in the ancient world. There was, we know in Egypt and we know in Judah and other nations that sometimes the succession of kings and families, you would have a child ruler. And so Josiah, we're to think he doesn't know any better. He's only in his 20s at this point. His, his father was a terrible example to him. His grandfather Manasseh was just an epic failure of, of uh, false worship and, and violating God's law. Is Josiah responsible for the generations of sin? Look, it's just what he was taught. He's just a kid. Bad examples. And in a sense, you know, it really doesn't matter that there comes a point, however, for for you or for Josiah, for anybody, there are things that you've learned generationally. That some of you come from families where you've learned anger, or you experienced abuse, or you experienced behaviors of um, abandonment, or lying, or deceit, or any other, any of not resolving conflict, whatever the patterns you learn, at a certain point, God brings them to light, and God shows you that this is not a good path, and it's not as important where those things come from, but how we respond to them. Or for a church, the whole community of people may become aware that they're going off track. And there's been seasons in in the life of this church where we've gone off track and God has showed that to us. And we pray that God would give us the grace to repent and to turn back to his way. I mean, and this is a really good warning for churches. There were good systems in Josiah's day. Think of this, this eight-year-old kid is the king. 
But you've got administrators and secretary, you've got people collecting money, you've got doorkeepers, you've got the temple, you've got priests. Everybody's doing their role to really prop up this young leader, and things are looking pretty good. They're doing repairs. The, the carpenters and the masons and these workers were so honest, they didn't even have to do an accounting. They said, look, just give these people the money, and they're going to spend it correctly, and they're going to do good work. I mean, you'd never do that in your house. We don't do that here. We kind of, you know, look over people's shoulder and, you know, thank them for helping. But we make sure stuff gets done appropriately. But this was a really good, healthy system. But it was all very outward. God didn't care how pretty the building looked, how nice the temple was, how, how operationally effective they were. Because it's a matter of the heart. Repentance is a condition of the heart. Sin is a condition of the heart that requires repentance of the heart. And his heart, as the prophet has said, was soft. It was tender towards the things of God. And that's what God wants. The prophet Isaiah, a number of years before, in Isaiah 66, he said this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. God's saying, what, you're gonna, what, what is a temple? or what, is a, what are you going to do for me? I made everything. But he goes on to say, but this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we tremble at God's word? When you read God's word, does it cut and cause you to kind of stop in your tracks a bit? Or do you have God's word at all? Maybe we're people who were, you know, in the day of Josiah. They lost their Bible. It was missing. They were cleaning up and they found it. You know, maybe we need to be people who like, where's your Bible? Do you know where it is? But as you read it, that would be step one, find it. Step two is um, allowing it to do its work. Hebrews chapter four says this, the word of the Lord is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must give account. It's God's word is like a scalpel. And God uses it to carve things out of our life. And as we look at God's word and we see who he is, we realize, ooh, I am not that. That God is holy and I am not. And God has called us to a beautiful path and I do not walk that path. And that leads us to repentance, to say, all right, I turn from those things, Lord. And that's the first step, responding to God's word. However, we, we got to the point where we are, we say, I, my ways are not God's ways, and I need to turn from that. The second step, the second R, if you will, is renewal, covenant renewal. So Josiah's uh, reaction to God's word was first to repent and then to call the entire nation to renew their covenant with the Lord. And uh, accept publicly make uh, a statement of their faith and accept the obligations. Not much different than what we did this morning when we proclaimed together a creed of our faith, a very ancient creed, but a very tr the true words that have been said by Christians through generations. We declare together what we believe. And um, so now there's not a lot of detail. So what you see here in 2 Kings 23, those first three verses, that's about all it describes. But there was, uh, prior to this, back in the days of Joshua, 
again, it was the time of Moses, was the leader of God's people, and then his successor was Joshua. They had a covenant renewal ceremony in Joshua 24, and it's explained in great detail. And I expect that Josiah did something similar to that. But basically, Joshua, in those days, he went before the people and he said, Look, I don't know what you're going to do. If you're going to worship the gods of these other nations or just kind of worship your own gods... He said, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord God, the one true God. And that's what we're going to do. So my my house, we serve the Lord. And all the people said, we too, we will serve the Lord. It was a beautiful, just renewing their commitment to the Lord. And Joshua looked looked at them and he said, he said this, he said, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. Everybody was all committed to it. And he said, no, God is perfectly holy. And he will, he, he will punish us. There, there is great peril and curse if we go away from this. And they said, no, we, we will serve the Lord. They knew something that they needed God's grace. That yes, God is holy, but we, we, and we are not holy, but we choose to serve him in every way. And they, uh, so Joshua wrote it all down. And he said, you, you know, you are witnesses to each other, and I'm writing it down. And they set up a monument. He tipped up a stone. And he said, this stone heard you say those words. This is a monument to the commitment that you've made to renew. Because God's promises to you are good. And we are now committing to be living under those promises. And they wrote it down. And it was, um, so I picture this in the day of Josiah, that all the people, he's saying, look, how are we going to respond to what we've learned? His his. His grandfather, Manasseh, terrible guy. His dad, terrible. But he said, look, here's where we're at. Who's in? And they all committed together. And it wasn't just the leaders. It wasn't just the elders. Look at verse 2. It's both great and small. It was all the people of every status. In a community of people, thinking of a church, right? it's not just me who needs to repent of sin, but I do. And it's not just leaders They do. It's every single one of us as we together are seeking to live out God's will. We all need to be repenting of our sin as God makes us aware of it. Every person. And periodically, we need to renew the covenant together. That's why we celebrate communion. Communion and the Lord's Supper is a covenant renewal ceremony. So, um, Jesus, when he instituted it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He's saying, this is the deal. That I'm going to the cross for you. I'm giving my blood for you. I'm taking the punishment for your sins. And when you take this cup and when you drink it, you remember that. You remember my body and blood and you are united as people living under this covenant. I don't ever want to lose that in the routine of worship together. That we are people who are continually coming back to his promises. So step one is repent. Step two is renew that covenant. Renew. And then the third step, what this leads to, is reform. And this is what he did. Then the rest of chapter 23 describes this. Josiah went out and he tore down all the bad stuff. All the idols, all the Asherah poles, he just torched them. They were wooden. Boom. If it was metal, he ground it up and pulverized it and scattered it over graves. He took bones of dead people and put them on these sacred places so you couldn't rebuild them. He made the sacred places. He, he desecrated all these things. He took the, the priests of these false gods and he, uh, he put them away. He deposed them. It was just, they just destroyed everything all at once. And now archaeologists in this region today are finding these, these um, huge caches of 
religious artifacts. And they're all between the 7th and... They say, you know, we date these things to about the you know, 7th, 6th century before Christ. Like, that's because Josiah. The, the reason... But from earlier and later, they're a little bit more sparse to find these artifacts. There's just tons of artifacts during this one season. Like, yeah, because Josiah went in and he buried all that stuff. And it was pres- it's preserved to today. So archaeology backs up the fact that he did a pretty thorough job burying this stuff. But notice here that his reform, these reforms that he made followed his repentance. It followed the renewal of their commitment to God. We want to jump right to changing, changing things, change the behaviors. We look at our own lives. You see something that's off, and you know it's off in your life. You just want to change it. God, I want to be better. God, I'm going to try harder. But the thing is, the, the, our faith is not based on us trying harder or doing better. It's about realizing we haven't done that turning to him, receiving his grace. And that grace is a grace that will change a heart. That is a grace that will change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, that you can actually obey the Lord, not just try harder. Because then we get into these patterns of just trying harder and failing again. But it's his power at work through us. Um, This is, as a church, we're looking at this right now. We are at a place, uh, as many of you know, there's been um, leaders who have left and we've, we've, had a little bit of a uh, little shake up and we my heart is just let's just reorganize and get back at it let's rebuild the team and let's just press ahead you know we need we need good systems and we need we need just need to get the org chart right and get the right people and boom we'll go but we need to stop and say well how did we get to where we're at what's the heart? this is a spiritual community and all of our problems are spiritual problems and we need to repent where god is showing us where to repent and we need to uh, be make sure that we are committed to this covenant with god not just efficient and and operating we'll get there we will get there we're not trying to drag our feet and go slow but we want to take our time to be introspective and to ask god to search our hearts every one of us and in the meantime god is calling people to step up people with gifts to help with uh, youth retreats and to help with uh, with other ministry and small groups and, and the things and then the ministry continues and God is glorified in that. But we got to get it right. We got to get the repentance and we we got to be committed to His way and then we can do the reform. Now for Josiah, this kind of brings us back though to to the the first question. He did all these reforms, but he knew it wouldn't make a big difference in the long run. He knew on the authority of God's word that this would not change his nation, that destruction was still coming. It was too late. He was too little too late, these reforms. But he went ahead anyway. Why? He went ahead with this reformation, not because it was going to do some grand thing to his nation, but just for the glory of God, just for the sake of the Lord. He did what he could. He did the part that God called him to do. And that's a great reminder for us that, look, your faithfulness to God may not change your whole workplace. It may not change our country and bring our nation back to faithfulness. Or it may not even change your family. But what is God calling you to be faithful to this week? Because it may not seem huge. It may not seem worth it in the long run. But what is God calling you to? Are we a people who are willing to be faithful to those small things? Whether or not it um, resolves my problems, does it bring me economic success, does it, um, does it relieve all my distresses? What if it doesn't? Are we willing to be faithful to the God who made us, the God who called us to be his? 
It's an important question. Josiah did. He chose to be faithful. And in that generation, they got to experience God's blessing. They didn't face the destruction that came a few generations later. The greatest part of this reform, after all this is done, all the false stuff is burned and pulverized and sent out of town, they reinstituted the Passover celebration, remembering God's goodness, remembering how God had saved his people from slavery. He saved them from death and judgment by his grace. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, they said, you know, we keep going back to this, you know, the Exodus and how God saved his people. But that was a long time. I mean, that was generations. Like, how could they cling to that, you know, God's saving work? It was so long ago. We do the math, though, and we say, you know, this is probably, this is about, what, 600 years later that Josiah is calling his people to remember God's faithfulness in the past. But we're like 2,000 years from the cross. And we are generations upon generations from those who saw the risen Christ, who saw the wounds, who uh, were touched and, and, and saw him. But on their faithfulness that we, we remember and we celebrate, you know, celebrating the Passover back then you know, points to Jesus. It's the, he was the ultimate Passover lamb who gave his life that we might escape God's judgment and receive his grace. I mean, it's, it's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is the ultimate uh, Passover. Jesus is the ultimate Josiah. Josiah went to call people to repentance and to purify the people and to um, call them into covenant. Jesus is the ultimate Josiah. He came to call people to repent and to know his kingdom and to be part of it in, in the ultimate covenant that he made by giving his body and his blood for us. Shed on the cross. And that's for us to turn our faith to. Here's the verdict of the whole thing. Repent, uh, renew the covenant, and then reform. Here's the conclusion of, of Josiah's life. 2 Kings 23, 25. says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. He was the greatest king. In some ways, too late. A king came too late. Judgment was still coming. There was still unrepented sin of his fathers and, and unrepented sin of his descendants after him. But in other ways, it was not too late to know and experience the grace of God. For us, sitting here, I want you to know it's not too late. It's, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it to repent, to turn back to God. It's not meaningless. It, it may not change the world. It may not uh, solve all your problems, but it's worth it because God is good and he's calling us to it and he's calling us together and we can know something of his grace today. It's not too late. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it cuts us, that it causes us to see your holiness and it causes us to see our own sin, Lord. Father, I pray if there is anyone in this room, if there, if who is, is sensing that you are calling them to repent, that they would turn to you right now and say, God, I repent. I, I recommit myself to, to you. I thank you for Jesus who, who has made this covenant promise that he's accomplished everything I need. Change my heart, Lord. Help me to obey you that I can truly follow your way. I give myself back to you. I give my life to you, Lord. Be glorified in that. 
Father, I pray that we as a church would see this season and see this time as an opportunity to repent again, an opportunity to recommit ourselves to your way, not ours. That it would start with each of our hearts. Lord, let it start with mine. Forgive me. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.